This is SermonSmith, a podcast of conversations about the craft of sermon preparation, and my name is John Chandler. Welcome back, everybody. I guess I should say welcome back to myself because it has been quite the unplanned break. There was a planned break, and then it turned into an unplanned break for uh, a little SermonSmith hiatus. I took the month of August off, and then our, our family actually went through an unexpected move, and I lost access to my personal quiet office slash recording studio, which actually is in our large master closet. Uh, Luckily, I have a new setup in our new place that works just as well, and we are back on track. So here we are with a new interview for Sermon Smith. I'll tell you about that in a little bit. But there's also been a little bit of a plan on my part to... um, to add some extra elements to SermonSmith, some other projects that I'm working on around SermonSmith that would be part of SermonSmith even beyond the podcast. And so uh, I don't know how I'm going to break down my SermonSmith time between podcast interviews, which I certainly plan to continue, and then doing some of these other projects alongside, which are you know, just related to uh, tools, training, and stuff like that for sermon planning. So that's just a little tease of what's going on and what some of my attention has been going toward. I'm really excited about the first one that I have in the works. Uh, if you would like to hear more about those when they are announced, they'll certainly be announced on the podcast, but you can also join the mailing list for SermonSmith. So if you go to sermonsmith.com, You'll see a little pop-up in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen, and you can sign up there for the mailing list. And when you sign up, you'll get updates anytime there's a new interview that's posted, as well as updates as some of these other tools and resources that we're working on um, will be rolling out. So sermonsmith.com, bottom right-hand corner, enter your email address. Your email won't be sold or anything like that. It's purely for SermonSmith for announcements for new interviews, and then some of these uh, other periphery projects that I have in the works. So thank you so much for uh, hanging with us. It's I, I was actually, um, just because my attention's been going 100 directions um, in the midst of moving, I logged into the Simon Smith site. Yeah, I still log in from time to time, but just see the downloads have continued. And we recently passed 100,000 total downloads. So thank you, everyone, for spreading the word and sharing the word. I'll let's say I've got another interview with someone who, uh, man, so many of these interviews, I I guess I should say all, because then you might be left wondering which ones I wouldn't want to. But so many of these interviews, I would love to just be in the same city and get together with these people afterward and spend more time. And that's certainly the case today. I interviewed Rich Viotis. Rich is the lead pastor of New Life Fellowship, which is in Queens in New York City. And if you're familiar with Pete Scazzaro and some of his writings around Emotionally Healthy, this is the church that Pete started and Rich has taken over for him as the lead pastor. So he talks even a little bit about the continued symbiosis of that relationship. Uh, but just just great to hear from Rich, thoughtful, thoughtful guy, uh, spending a lot of time imagining not just the content of his sermons, but how his sermons lead and direct the continuing flourishing of their congregation. So I hope you enjoy this one as much as I do. Here we are with Rich Viotis of New Life Fellowship. Well, uh, Rich, it is good to be here with you. I uh, heard many good things about you through some mutual friends and excited to have this conversation. I'm excited myself to be getting back in the saddle. So thanks for all of your patience as I find my way back in the saddle. Here. Oh, no problem. Glad to be here. <laughs> so Rich, tell us about, um, tell us about your context. Tell us about the church where you're located. Um, what the look, what the look of the church is. Yeah, there. Uh, we are in Queens, New York city. We are actually celebrating 30 years of of being a church family and it was planted in 1987 by a guy named pete scazzaro a guy who wrote a few books called uh the emotionally healthy church emotionally healthy spirituality emotionally healthy leader and uh, he planted in 1987 and uh stepped out of his role as a senior pastor in 2013 and i, I came some 10 years ago but became the lead pastor in 2013 and uh, we are in, uh, yeah, one of the more unique places in the world, I think. Uh, Queens is one of the most diverse places in the world. National Geographic had our zip code at one point as the most diverse zip code in the world. And so 123 nations in our neighborhood. We have over 75 nations in our church. And our diversity expand, it goes beyond just uh, ethnic and 
cultural diversity, uh, very generationally diverse as well. So uh, quite a um, unique community. Uh, you know, over half of Queens is foreign born. So a large immigrant uh, population as well. So uh, yeah, it, it's quite a remarkable, uh, oftentimes confusing, uh, but beautiful place where I think we get to get a, a taste of the fullness of the kingdom of God and all of its cultural and uh, ethnic diversity. So it's, it's yeah, quite, quite a place. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, I, I had a question piquing my interest, even as you were answering that, or that you kind of responded to not knowing that I had that question looming, but I was curious when you talk about the diversity, you know, you talked about how many that's actually like immigrants. So you're not even talking necessarily second generation, third generation, right. Uh, is that is that true in the life of your church, or is it is that in the church is it mostly people who are English speaking who might be second and third generation, or do you end up even finding a lot of immigrants make their way to new life? We get a lot of immigrants that make their way through new life, and so while there's certainly a large population, our, our church, uh, you know, we're about fifteen hundred folks, um, so you get a lot of second and third generation folks, but we get a lot of first generation immigrants. Uh, as well. And so folks who have, who are, uh, who don't have a solid grasp of the English language, but, uh, they've connected with other people from their country and they found a, a home here and something familiar to whether they're coming from Ecuador, whether they're coming from China, uh, or coming from, uh, Sri Lanka or Bhutan. Uh, we, we have enough people from these areas where if you walk through new life sooner or later, you'll, you'll find, um, a community here that feels somewhat like home. So yeah, quite, quite diverse as well uh, in terms of generationally first and second generation with immigrants. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's amazing to me to think about. And I'm this, I mean, this will play into questions about preaching, but you know, I just think about so many times. Well, I mean, the perfect example of this was we used to live outside Seattle and our neighbors were, from Ukraine. And I think most of the kids had been born in the United States, but that they spent, you know, they were part of a Ukrainian church and they probably spent four or five nights a week at their church. Like for them, it was the, it was their church. It was their community. It was the perpetuator of, you know, their heritage and culture. So it's, it's, and, and so I see why, right. I see why a lot of immigrants make their way to, you know, a church, which is familiar and is home. Uh, what is it about new life or the way that new life is structured uh, other than maybe if somebody comes from Ecuador, they find other people who, you know, come from, came from Ecuador as well, but what's enabled new life to allow those people to be welcome and feel home, even in the midst of being in this new and foreign place for them. Yeah. I think it's all started with how the church was planted originally. And when uh, in 1987, our founding pastor, uh, you know, he, he went out to Costa Rica to learn Spanish. Uh, and he's a, you know, Italian American, uh, guy from, uh, the New York area. And he, he, you know, he wanted to plant the church in Queens, but he also wanted to connect with this community. So he went to Costa Rica for a year, learned Spanish and planted an English speaking congregation as well as a Spanish speaking congregation. So from the onset, there was a sense of, of rootedness and we, we want to reach the people that are here. Uh, and from just a, a pastoral and ministry perspective, I think that laid the groundwork of becoming a community uh, where people from different parts of the world can find a place at home. So I, I just think Pete's work in his own life laid a great foundation out of which, uh, I, I think a pretty robust theology of what does it mean to be a multi-ethnic, multiracial uh, international community. And so uh, we, we take theology very seriously at New Life. And we're always exploring, you know, what does it mean to be uh, a hospitable place? And that hospitality emerging out of a, a pretty robust theology. Uh, and so I think we've done uh, over the years, a lot of theological work that has practically been manifested in terms of uh, you know, the people that we decide to put on the platform, the people we hire as staff, the elders who govern our church. So at every level of our church community, um, you know, there's that kind of diversity represented. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, I have a child knocking on my door. Uh, Even though I've told them all, I am recording a podcast. This is going to be so. another BBC thing. Here, <laughs> here we go. Pardon me while I drag them out. <laughs> well, I, and, I mean, I'll, I'll just take a moment to comment on, you know, certainly I'm familiar with Pete and his work, and I'm here to interview you, but I do want to acknowledge, like, there's some rich stuff there. I've read uh, Emotionally Healthy well, I've read all of them, but on, during my sabbatical, you know, even a few months ago, I read Emotionally Healthy Leader. It's just so fantastic. So for you to be able to come in and build on what's already there is beautiful. Um, what, tell me about even the, what's it look like, the transition? And yeah, I listened to one or two of your sermons just to prepare for this. I've, you know, I, I don't, I've never heard him speak. I've just read his books. But even looking back through your sermon history and from reading his books, I know that he's still very connected in the life of the congregation. So yeah. talk about, talk about that transition. What did it look like for you to come up? I assume you were preaching somewhat regularly before you moved into this new role. So how did that transition take place? The transition took place. I, I got to New Life in 2008. So next year will be a decade that I'm here. And when I came, I came to be part of the preaching team as well as to oversee a good portion of our small group ministry. And uh, by that time, Pete was looking to go to uh, a, a teaching team model, preaching team model. Uh, prior to maybe 2008, he did the, the, the bulk, the, the vast majority of preaching. And uh, he, in his mind, although he – it was in 2009 where he came to the elders and said – that he wanted to talk about his transition and begin a four-year process uh, of a search starting in-house. And um, so it started with establishing a preaching team, uh, which kind of uh, laid the foundation of getting other people, uh, getting the congregation familiar with other voices. And I was one of the voices on the preaching team from 2008. And then 2009, we started a four-year process whereby we brought in a consultant and uh, we, we laid out uh, what a four-year process would look like. And after I, you know, the elders identified me as the candidate that um, they wanted to explore, uh, you know, have, have me do a year of leading kind of behind the scenes. Uh, and I, I did that. But every year was pretty structured pretty clearly in terms of how many uh, Sundays is Pete going to preach uh, the first year, second year, third year, fourth year, how many Sundays is Rich going to preach? And every year was going to go higher. Um, and we had another, a couple of other preaching team members as well. So uh, when it came to Sundays that we preach, when it came to leading staff meetings, when it came to hiring and firing, um, every year uh, the ratio looked a little different. Uh, and we slowly built it into, you know, that transition process. And in 2013, we had, you know, the, the formal uh, transition of leadership. And uh, I mean, it's been really wonderful. And so he, he continues to be part of our church. He preaches uh, about eight times a year. Uh, next year, it'll go down to about five as he gives more attention to our global ministry and emotionally healthy spirituality. Um, but yeah, as I enter into my fifth year, uh, he remains uh, you know, a, a key part of the pastoral team uh, just him, you know, just being here and some of the uh, the Sundays that he's giving to preaching and helping with pastoring some of our staff members and such. But it was quite a beautiful transition, and it's a transition that we we went to the monastery to really learn about it uh, because uh, uh, what our first value as a community here is that we're a monastic community, and so we draw from the riches of monasticism, and we went to uh, meet with some of the. Uh, monks and abbots, uh, the heads of the monasteries, because when a new when an abbot steps down, the abbot remains in the community. He doesn't go to some other monastery. And we thought that right. that model is what we sensed was uh, instead of a senior pastor, a founding pastor having to leave and find another community, we wondered could it work as it does in a monastery. And so we learned from there, and um, and it's been really. I mean, we're, I'm in my fifth year. And our our church has uh, really flourished, and it's been uh, as as good as we could have possibly expected it to be. Yeah, that's great. Um, so you know, even building on that through the lens, particularly of preaching, you said you came in two thousand eight, really to be part of the teaching team initially. So I assume you must have come with some kind of prior preaching experience. 
Yeah. Or was this like your first, you know, I, and the reason I asked that is I was curious, like what was the process of differentiating coming in this place where there's this established leader that you're sharing with and overlapping with, like what was the process of learning the voice of new life, but also finding your own voice or distinguishing perhaps better your own voice within that? Yeah. You know, I, I think there's so, there were so many, um, shared values that I had with new life, this, which is one of the reasons why I decided that this would be a great place for me to come prior to new life. Um, I was the uh, director of young adult ministries at the Brooklyn Tabernacle, uh, a large church oh, okay. out here in, yeah. in, in New York, Brooklyn. And, and so I, I would lead this, uh, a few hundred college students, uh, every other week for our worship gatherings on Fridays. And I preach at them. So, uh, sure. I did that for four years there beyond that. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I did kind of like evangelistic kind of, uh, I, I kind of served as like an evangelist in the city preaching at small churches. And I started preaching from, from the time I was 19. So I'm 38 years old. Uh, yeah. I became a Christian and in a small Latino Pentecostal church. And I started getting opportunities to preach in this small church. That's kind of how I started. And, uh, went to college, went to night college, got trained in, you know, homiletics and all that. But I found myself preaching in churches, uh, regularly from the time, I mean, for the almost the past 20 years. So when I got to New Life, um, I had already been preaching about 10 years. Um, and so I, I, you know, I had a good amount of experience. And in terms of finding the voice, uh, you know, uh, you know, my fit with the overall kind of, theological culture and preaching culture of new life. Um, I, I think the shared values, you know, the whole monastic theology, um, and, uh, you know, you know, way of approaching spiritual formation that was deep in me since the time I was maybe 2021, 20, I was reading desert fathers and Henry now and Thomas Merton. And so that was a tradition that I was, had really learned from now to find that there was a local church that was also gleaning heavily from yeah. this tradition that really helped to make it a pretty easy transition for me in terms of, uh, particularly in terms of the content of what I preach and who I'm drawing from and how are the, the voices that I draw from, um, consistent with the voices that new life has, uh, primarily drawn from over the years, particularly Pete. And so because there was a lot of overlap there, it made for a pretty nice transition. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, does new life, I, I suppose I should even ask this, does new life come from a particular denominational tradition or theological stream? Yeah. You know, we, we, we are affiliated with the Christian missionary Alliance, but, uh, uh, affiliated. So that's not, we're not part of their denomination, but in terms of our, you know, who are we, who do we draw from? I think it comes out of, uh, how God has uniquely made Pete and Pete and I are pretty similar in terms of our theological values and such, where we draw heavily from uh, a, a multitude of traditions. And so the charismatic tradition, the uh, social justice tradition, the monastic tradition, uh, you know, high church, low church. I mean, we, we draw from so many different traditions. And so on a given Sunday, we'll have uh, some, intentional times of silence and then we'll have some intentional times of lifting our voices to god i'm preaching about you know solitude and contemplation next thing we're talking about uh you know the power of god and healing uh so we've drawn from so many different traditions and um myself you know i think that's one of the reasons why i connected with peter from the early on uh and i think you see that reflected in our our five uh kind of core values or theological values that it's a pretty comprehensive way of following Jesus. And, um, so yeah, we, we draw from so many different places. Yeah. And I, all right. One last, one last background context question. I, I'm just making an assumption here, but I don't know. Did you grow up in the city? I grew up in Brooklyn. So uh, yeah, born, okay. born and raised in New York city, about 20 minutes from new life. Uh, which New Life is in Queens, so I'm from Brooklyn. Uh, so yep. for New Yorkers, it's very. Cl- I mean, yeah, I'm from Brooklyn. I'm not from Queens, even though I pastor in Queens. <laughs> right, right, it's just right. very important to say that. Um, yeah. I love. I've grown to love Queens, but I'm a Brooklyn boy through and through. Right, right. 
So like for, for me to even say, did you grow up in the city? Like I, I just offended anybody from Queens or Brooklyn 100%. who would assume that those, I don't, yeah. we don't, <laughs> I mean, for some people we say the city meaning Manhattan, but, um, for New Yorkers, you know, we're part of the city as well. Right. <laughs> and I don't even make it to the city much. So, um, yeah, I mean, Brooklyn and Queens, here I am. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, um, so that being said, and getting a little bit of that background, what would you say is the role of preaching in the life of New Life? In the life of our church, our congregation is, is primarily formed and led through the pulpit. And, and so uh, what happens on Sunday mornings, uh, when I think of preaching, I think of preaching in two ways, preaching as encounter and preaching as formation. And uh, I believe that uh, when when the gospel is being proclaimed, when when scripture is being preached, that it creates a a unique God saturated environment for someone to have a kind of uh, encounter with the living God uh, through the proclamation of the word. And so uh, I, I want people to have those encounters. But, all, but preaching is also about the slow work of formation. And it is out of what's being taught and proclaimed on Sunday mornings that we build into the rest of our church life. Where do we need to equip others? Where do we need to, how do our small groups uh, begin to uh, shape conversations and, and dialogue with one another and pray with one another? But it is through the preaching that our congregation is formed and, and led. So, I mean, it's quite a significant uh, place sure. in, our, in the formation of our church. And how often do you preach? I preach uh, between 32 and 35 times a year. And recognizing that the sermon is, you know, as primary as it is even for the, the shaping and direction of the church, that's how, has that been a challenge to do 32 to 35 a year? Or has that been enough? Or have you had to find other means even for direction and challenge for the church? Yeah, the reason I did it is because I think um, to a large degree, this might not apply to everyone, but I think to preach every week, um, the, the potential to do violence against the soul uh, is very, um, it's, it's a high possibility for those who preach every week. And the reason I say that is because in order, there's, we preach out of who we are. And certainly our proclamation, our lives don't always line up 100% to our proclamation. But I think as preachers, we should be embodying and intentionally wrestling with the content of our sermons and uh, out of which we speak. And so, when I, so, so for me to preach with integrity doesn't mean that I live the content I preach perfectly, but that I wrestle with it faithfully. And to preach every week, as, and especially for folks who not only have to preach, but lead a staff, recruit volunteers, work with an elder board, cast vision, raise money, put out fires, and then, oh yeah, preach a sermon as well. To, to have a life with God out of which we speak, I think takes more time than we often give it. And um, so for me, 32 to 35 times creates enough margin for me so that whatever I'm proclaiming is coming out of a place of deep wrestling, not out of Oh man, I got to preach again this Sunday. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that was a purely selfish question on my part. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, other people will benefit from it too. But I mean, I, I resonate with your you know philosophy of preaching that you just shared, and that's yeah, my my best natural method of even speaking into the life of our congregation is through preaching. But we also hold the value of inviting other voices and raising up other voices. So I just wanted to see how you'd answer the question that I wrestled yeah, with. Yeah, 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 <laughs> absolutely. And, and, and I think it helps to create a community where, um, you know, they, they, they're not just hearing from me. I mean, we need other voices and other angles. And, um, and you know, we, we, we need, and in our tradition here, I mean, we need not just men, we need women as well. We need, uh, different ages. We need different cultures, and for a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-everything uh, church like ours, uh, having one voice, uh, it's 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 a challenge. It's a challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, it looks like you uh, generally, I'm, I'm looking back even through just 2017 on your sermons page here. It looks like you tend to go through just some different series, sometimes thematic, sometimes like you did parables of Jesus this summer. So talk about the, the process of planning out how far in advance do you plan your sermons and how do you determine what you're going to preach on? Yeah, the, there, are three, uh, there are three seasons in the church calendar that we follow uh, every year which is Advent, Lent, and Eastertide. Uh, and so you figure that's, you know, four, ten, uh, you know, we're talking 13 weeks out of 52 or so, where uh, that's just a fixture in our church. And so we're looking at the birth of Jesus. We're looking at themes of Advent. That's every year. Uh, same thing with Lent. Like this this year, we're, we're for the six weeks of Lent, we'll be uh, preaching through the cross and the, the various uh, Fleming Rutledge's book on the crucifixion uh, has been a wonderful resource and just looking at the different ways to understand the cross of Jesus. And so, but that'll be through Lent. And then for Eastertide, uh, which is seven weeks, uh, you know, we focus on, you know, what does it mean to be, uh, what, what, you know, what's the, the, the resurrection? How, how does the resurrection impact our lives as a community, our lives individually, What's God calling us to do in that respect? So, uh, so those are three fixtures in our preaching calendar every year. Um, beyond that, uh, y- you know, our 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 preaching team uh, we're looking at uh, Old Testament, New Testament, and some thematic. And most of it is just what what have we been teaching? What haven't we been teaching? What do we sense uh, needs to be taught? So earlier in the year, we did a whole you know six week I believe series on Abraham. And we realized we hadn't touched an Old Testament character in some time. Uh, and so trying to give a, a, a balanced kind of diet. Uh, so we'll do like Old Testament character or Old Testament book. And then we'll, we'll go to some kind of New Testament uh, book or some theme. And then something thematic as we, uh, you know, maybe there's something that's happening in our, in our world that needs addressing. And that's, that's basically it in, ter- in terms of, uh, how far in advance we plan. Uh, I'm never good at this. Um, so it's something I really struggle with. I, I planned out. So on a generally I plan out probably two to three months in advance. Um, I know people who do a whole year. I don't know how they do it. Um, that I, I could, I don't have that, but last uh, two weeks ago, I planned out January through July, which was the most I've ever done. Uh, that early. And the reason I was able to do that is because uh, we're the season that we're in right now in the life of our church is we're going to be focusing on our fifth M, which is, uh, you know, being, what does it mean to be a missional community? And what does it mean to, um, to, to, to focus outwardly? And we haven't, that has been an under, um, uh, an area that has been, we, we haven't explored that as much as I'd like us to. And so for, from January, ex- except for during the season of Lent, we're going to be really focusing on mission. Uh, so I was able to lay out, you know, what, what's the angles I want to come from uh, for the first seven months of the year. So, but that's... So you've even got it broken down to the, each, each individual sermon. Uh, not, not, not quite each individual sermon, but a uh, large kind of a macro picture of, you know, um, you know, the, the first couple of months, uh, what does it, you know, what does it mean that God is a missionary? You know, what does it mean that God, you know, uh, and then after Easter, we'll look at the book of Acts and, um, but not quite every Sunday, but, uh, if I spent another two hours with it, I could surely uh, map out every Sunday, but I haven't just done but you don't that. Need to, you don't need to do that till March. Or yeah. I'll like just, that. I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'll It'll wait. come. <laughs> um, well, okay, so that that being, and when you say, you know, a couple of times you referred to we, and a couple of times you referred to, you know, you were mapping those out. So, what is that? You've talked you've talked about the preaching team. Uh, so, what is that process? What does the interplay look like between them speaking into that versus you, like just taking the time to hammer those out? Yeah, my my uh, we we have so Pete Scazzaro is part of the preaching team. Uh, another preaching uh, member of our preaching team member is a guy named Greg Howe. Uh, who he's not on our staff, uh, but he's part of our preaching team. And uh, in the past, we've had a woman named Rosie Candethill who went out to 
uh, to a monastery. So uh, one of my priorities is to add a another a female voice uh, in the coming coming months. But what we would do is we'd gather together monthly just to talk about what we're learning and about preaching, what we're learning about the series, and you know some of you know uh, some areas that we want to grow in together. Uh, how it typically goes, I'll, I'll map out. Hey, this is what I sent, and I, I'll you know I'll submit it to them for their processing, for their um, reflection, for their you know their suggestions. Uh, but typically, I'm the one who's mapping it out and then sending it to them, and then getting their feedback on you know maybe what if we did it this way or what if we focus on this. But I'm doing the initial work. Right. Okay. Well, thanks. That's all. It's. it's I always love hearing how people do that part. Uh, so talk about then your week to week of, you know, you, you preach not every other week necessarily and not every week, but two weeks out of three roughly. Yeah. So talk just a little bit about what your week to week flow likes looks like as far as putting any individual sermon together. This is where we will get as nitty gritty as you want to get. And I might ask you questions to get nittier and grittier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things I do. Um, I, I heard, uh, I'm not sure if you, Ken Shigematsu, I'm not sure that name rings a bell. But, oh, I interviewed him a couple months ago. Yeah, He's fantastic. Ken's yeah. wonderful. Ken's a good friend of mine. And he probably mentioned what he learned from Haddon Robinson on that about a 10 day gestational cycle. Of, yeah. uh, so, I, rem- I remember that now. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, <laughs> we had Ken over and uh, as we were having lunch together, he mentioned that that was a few years ago and I never forgot it. And so the previous Thursday, I'm already looking at um, the fo- that not that Sunday, the following Sunday uh, of what I'm going to be preaching, and uh, you know I'm just making some notes, uh, general notes on uh, trajectory of the sermon, and uh, I'll do that maybe a little bit Thursday and maybe a little bit Friday. Uh, but when Monday comes, I I lay out the the outline of the sermon, and I'd say. Fifty percent of my sermons take on the the structure that I learned from reading Paul Scott Wilson's book for the four pages of a sermon. Uh, oh, and yeah. so that has been a really helpful resource to simplify sermon prep and help me to crystallize my thoughts very uh, more immediately. Uh, and so I'd say fifty percent of my sermons use the four pages model. And when I'm using the four pages model, uh, on that Monday, I'll lay out the outline. I'll maybe take a couple of hours to, you know, read the passage a bit, uh, outline it, and then I piecemeal it together Monday through Friday, uh, Tuesday through Friday. So Tuesday, I might spend uh, three hours on it. That's typically Tuesday is my biggest sermon prep day, other than Friday. So Tuesday, I'll probably take, you know, I'll probably do four to five hours of sermon prep on Tuesday, uh, where I'm laying it out. Wednesday, I might do. Uh, an hour to two hours, Thursday, the same, about an hour to two hours. And then Friday, the same, about an hour to two hours. And so you figure in a given week, you know, four, six, I mean, we're, we're talking maybe 10 to 12 hours a week that is going to sermon prep. Now, uh, if you want to add a couple more hours after I put my kids to bed on Saturday night, I'm, you know, I'm up Saturday night, probably another 90 minutes to two hours. If, if, if the Holy Spirit, uh, if I don't sense the Spirit's coming, it might be three hours, you know. Uh, but uh, so I'll, I mean, I'll add some of that there. But when I'm using the four pages model, I piecemeal it together. I, I don't know how guys do it. They spend the whole day doing it. I just I, I'm a seven on the Enneagram, so I need to be all over the place sometimes. I need to be reading four books at a time. Uh, so just to stay put doing one thing is a challenge for me. Um, the other 50% of what I'm preaching, uh, you know, I allow the text to lead me. So how, you know, how, you know, or, or the, the structure of the text, I'll just preach it that way um, and allow, allow it to take whatever form. Um, and surely there's some overlap in terms of some of the themes that I want to, you know, cover using the four pages model. What, where is there a problem in the text? Where's the grace of God evident? What's our call and response? So all of that will find its way in, in my preparation for the, those other sermons. But, um, for the most part, that's, that's kind of my approach on a week to week basis. Do you, uh, so, so Monday when you're talking about determining if you're going to use that classic four pages structure, or if you're going to use something different, does that, do you typically know the outline by Monday regardless? 
you know, or does it, if, if you don't use the four pages, did the outline take more time over the course of the week to come together? Yeah, I, 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 I need to, for, for my own anxiety, I need to, in my own peace of mind, by the end of Monday, I need to have a pretty clear perspective of where I'm going and how I'm going to, where I'm taking it from here. So I need a pretty clear map. Now, there's some, there's certain sermons that as I go, like yesterday, yesterday was Tuesday. So, I mean, yesterday I'm preaching on institutional racism on Sunday, you know, uh, so not a small topic. Uh, <laughs> and so it took a while because of the, uh, I mean, it's a massive topic. So how am I going to map this thing out? So it took a while to really flesh that out. And, and by Tuesday evening, I said, oh yeah, okay, this is, this is how I'm going to lay this out. It's a little, it's a little, a bit different kind of a sermon because, uh, just of the, the nature of the topic, but by typically on a, on a, on a sermon when I'm not talking about institutional racism, uh, by the end of Monday, I need to be pretty clear about how this thing is going to be mapped out. Yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty early in the process for an Enneagram seven. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> very true. But I think uh, part of it, I think, comes out of my own false self, my shadow side of if I don't have it right, uh, you know. And the other part is as well. I, I know the kind of work that's that that's waiting for me, the, the 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 work that has nothing to do with preparing sermons of staff development and and putting out fires and being getting clear with planning. So I know my time is limited, and so if if I don't have a, a a pretty clear picture of where I'm going. Um, I think just my own emotional health is, is impacted uh, during the course of the week. Sure. Sure. I can relate. Um, So talk then a little bit about, you know, Thursday, Friday, the week prior, before you do the outline, like what kind of work are you doing in each of those days? Like what, what kind of, what kind of, is it, is that, is that uh, interpreting the text? Is that collecting ideas? Like what's happening early versus once you have the outline and then you're building into the outline? Well, during the week, um, the week before, as I mentioned, that Thursday and Friday of the week before, I've already have put down some uh, some initial ideas and some research, you know, whether it's a commentary or so. Uh, by Tuesday or Wednesday, I, I'm pretty – I have a good sense of the thrust of where I'm going. At this point now – um, I want to see what, what have others said about this? Um, is, yeah. is there a story? So there, there's a list of maybe 20, uh, uh voices, the, theologians, commentators, preachers that I draw from pretty regularly. And so I want to, I want to figure out, you know, what does this person say about it? What does that person say about it? And I'm not going to go through all, you know, I, I don't go through every 20, all 20 on the list. But I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll ask those questions, search online a little bit, uh, and okay, you know, oh, that's a great story. Let me, let me just add that. But the, in terms of the core of the, 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 the core thrust of the content that I want to deliver, um, I've done that work, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, and by, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe Thursday, I'm, I'm asked, I'm seeing what, what, what have others said about this that I could add? Uh, maybe a story or an image that comes to mind or, or a, a wrinkle to the text, the nuance of the text I didn't see. Uh, so that's the kind of work that I'm doing uh, yeah. on those days. And is that just standing there and skimming your bookshelves to recall, oh, yeah, uh, you know, Scott McKnight said this about this? Or is that a, is that a process of, yeah, like you yeah. mentioned Google, like is it just getting into Google? and? No, I mean, I, I read pretty uh, – I'm a – a voracious reader, man. Uh, so I, I read, um, you know, I'm, I'm reading about 50 to 60 books a year. Uh, so about, you know, so I'm consistently going to books that I've read, um, regularly going to books that I've read. Uh, and then, uh, out of that, you know, I, I might go to, uh, Google and, and, you know, just see what, you know, what has, uh, you know, what did John Orberg say about this? What did was there anything that Gardner Taylor, the great black preacher, said about this? Um, uh, you know, so th- I'll do some of that. But first, I'm usually going to just my my books, my Kindle app, where all my books were just my my bookshelf, yeah. and um, you know, and I'm gleaning from there. 
Yeah. Do you uh, do you try to like as you read all of those? But you and I read probably about the same amount. It sounds like, and I, I know that there's some things that stick with me and some things that are lost unless I capture them. That's 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 more true in ebook land, right? Because it used to be I'd go back through a book and Certainly. look at my highlights and try to capture the good one, you know, the big ones. Now with ebooks, I don't do that process. So is is there some process that you? just trust your memory will be jogged or do you have some kind of system of trying to keep track of all of these things that, you know, what these books are about or particular yeah. themes? That you I have a terrible about? system, a really, <laughs> you know, <laughs> terrible system. But what I do is, so two things, when it comes to some of the big, like, um, Good Friday, Easter, Advent, some of those that I already know where I'm headed, um, on my just notes, you know, the iPhone notes page there, which I have, you know, 3000 notes on this thing, you know, um, I'll, I'll file it under, you know, Easter sermon 2017. So I already have like my good Friday sermon that I'm going to preach. I already have my Easter sermon. I'm going to preach for 20, for 2018. Not finished, Uh, but ideas. No, just like the thrust. I I know exactly where I want to say. Yeah. Um, and now I'll I'll flesh it out. But, uh, so I'll, I'll capture stuff like that. And a lot of it is just trusting my memory. Oh, it's like, oh yeah, let me uh, let me look at that that book I read on my sure. Kindle app and take it from there. Yeah, I, I mean, it's funny because I, especially, I, I'm not as diligent as I used to be about this. You know, early on, I was really diligent about capturing those things so that I could search them, and that it saved me a few times. I'm not as diligent now, though. But I just, I do still find that. Oh yeah, I remember. You know, like I just preached this week on the, the Bible. And I, I mean, there, I just, I just started jotting down, oh, I need to review this book and this book. I, I've read a lot of books about the Bible. Yeah, <laughs> I realized. yeah, yeah. So that one's an extreme example. But yeah, it's, it's surprising how things that were lost, when you just start to work your way back through, you start to remember, oh, yeah, this book talked about that. Or, oh, yeah, I read that book. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, what is your, what does your process look like then? Little, this is a, out of the box question I ask some, but not all, but just because of the nature of what you've described, what does the process look like uh, for you to develop and raise up new people to preach in your community? Yeah, I, I think uh, preaching and, and training others to preach, uh, you know, it, it might be one and two of my, my greatest passions. Um, and so because I understand and I've seen the power of, the proclaimed word and what it does. And I understand the limits of preaching as well. Um, but I understand the gifts and the power behind it. And so one of the things that uh, I've been doing over the past three years is I've, uh, you know, we've created a, a new life school of preaching that there's a, about a three to four month semester where, uh, I train six to seven, uh, folks from our church, whether uh, from our staff or whether, uh, non-staff that I sense have a communication gift and, um, you know, and, and train them. So I, I'll do maybe three to four lectures on, on preaching. Uh, the first lecture is typically on the life of a preacher. Uh, I'll go into come just pre- some preaching theory, teach a particular outline, talk about some of the, uh, details of preaching, you know, illustrations, transitions, introductions, how to weave in, uh, you know, the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, so I'll do all that in those four weeks of, of lectures. And then we have preaching labs where, uh, you know, they're, I, I give them some parameters of what I want them to uh, be preaching thematically, how long I want them to preach. They invite a friend, they preach, uh, we give them some feedback, and they do it again another couple of times. And it is after those four months that I'm looking for, strategically looking for opportunities for them to uh, continue to grow in preaching. So whether they're preaching at a retreat, whether they're preaching at a men's breakfast, whether they're preaching at one of our youth gatherings, or whether they're preaching on a Sunday morning because I sense they have the, the, the character and the gifting to do it. Um, that's kind of how I lay it out. And the, the training of preachers for me uh, comes out of a larger vision to see a new, new life church is planted uh, in the coming years. And, for every new congregation that we plan, I want to send out preaching teams of people that I've trained. So um, there's a, you know, in the past three years, I've trained, uh, you know, a good, uh, you know, 18 preachers 
uh, and not all of them are ready and not all of them are, uh, you, you know, uh, I, I would say are prepared to be part of a preaching team, but a good, a good amount of them are. And whenever we um, are at that place where we are starting a new congregation and in our context, we're looking the next couple of years to be able to know, yeah, here are some folks that can be part of a preaching team. It's really wonderful. Uh, but every uh, four, four months out of a given year, um, I'll train six to seven people from our church. Yeah. Uh, that's, I mean, that's fantastic. Both that you have that imagination for sending out church plants with full preaching teams intact, but that you've, you know, just been very deliberate about creating other opportunities. Cause you know, that's one of the hangups we experience. We're much, you know, we're much smaller in a younger church, but we don't have that many opportunities. And, and while we've been a young church, we've built into our culture, the grace of people learning how to preach. So that's been great. But um, yeah, there's, there's just not that many opportunities. So finding those opportunities and giving those to people, I, I just love that heart because I've long held, I'm, I'm sure I've said it on this podcast many times that I, I think one of the biggest hangups to planning churches is going to be um, people who have the, the preaching experience to be able to do it because we're actually finding less and mm-hmm. less opportunities to do mm-hmm. that as we have more big churches or, you know, video churches and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. keep, keep doing what you're doing. I'm getting excited just hearing you talk about it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's been fun. It's been fun. Well, what are, what are some of your favorite resources for preaching, whether they're, you know, whether commentary sets or books about preaching or maybe books that aren't about preaching, but that have shaped you uh, talk about some of those. Um, in terms of research, I mean, uh, commentary sets, I, I mean, the the new international was it commentary of the new testament um and i think the nicnt and the old testament as well that's kind of a go-to one for me um you know some of my uh in, in terms of like if i preach frequently from the gospel of matthew or gospel of john uh i found dale bruner's oh man pretty masterful yes um i mean that man is unbelievable yeah. uh so i've drawn heavily from from a lot of his stuff. Uh, beyond that, most of my resources come out of just the books that I'm reading. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm, so I'll go to a commentary, but I'm not primarily going to commentaries. I'm going to books that I've read on, a, on the topic. Um, uh, you know, and so some of the folks, I mean, you know, the Walter Brueggemann's of the world I'm reading and, um, you, you know, and then from, you know, uh, when I look at, you know, spiritual formation and the, the, the Thomas Mertens and the Henry Nowens, and uh, I'm reading so much of that. I'm, dr- I'm drawing from those folks. And uh, I don't use like, I know folks who use like the logo software. Um, I haven't spent one minute, uh, not because I don't want to, uh, or it, I just, uh, it just hasn't been, it hasn't a- appealed to me. And I know there's a lot of great stuff in that. And folks have been r- raving about it. But it's just um, I just haven't um, gone down that that road. Uh, but yeah, I, I think m- most of it is just uh, I'm reading different books from uh, different traditions and Christian books and non-Christian books, and in a given year, I'm drawing from the things that I've been reading, and it was a commentary here and there. So yeah. I guess not not quite the classical approach, but. Um, yeah, it works for me at least. Yeah, I mean, you're you're finding the things that are flying around in your brain from all these different sources and pulling them together. It's it's funny because as soon as you said Gospel of Matthew and Gospel of John, I just immediately knew you were going to talk about the Bruner <laughs> because I, I find you know like I find if there if I want to preach on a particular gospel story that might be in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or you know two to three, I'm going to lean toward the ones from Matthew just so I can use Bruner. Yeah, <laughs> just like yeah. Bruner has- about it because those are great commentaries amazing oh yeah. my goodness whoever's listening to this they need to buy that immediately <laughs> you know buy those commentaries immediately matthew's two volumes and john is one as i recall yeah um well well rich i mean thank you so much thanks for, for thanks for making the time it took us a while to get together here between my sabbatical and you had some time off this summer so thanks yeah. for thanks for keeping at it to get this on the calendar Oh, this is a blast. Thanks, man. I love talking about preaching. So this was fun. Yeah. Um, let me just give you one final chance just to say, you know, like the website for New Life, um, other places people can find you online, the Missio writings that you do, and maybe other places as well. 
Yeah, I think three things. One is our our, our new is nlfnyc.org. So just uh, that's New Life Fellowship. Uh, so that's one that you can check out if, if folks are interested in listening to sermons and, and just hear, learning about our diverse community. Um, second is, uh, you know, Missio Alliance. So I, I've written a number of articles. So I think folks and some of the articles have come out of my preaching, my sermons. Um, and so I just developed them fuller. So there's the Missio Alliance and uh, I'm sure that folks can find it there. Yeah, and I'll then, link to it in the show notes uh, too. Yeah. And then uh, emotionallyhealthy.org. So uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality is our global arm of new life. And uh, when Pete transitioned out of being the lead pastor of new life, he, you know, he's now virtually full-time leading Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And so if, you, if folks want to learn more about our philosophy of spiritual formation, out of which we preach, um, that's a great resource as well. Uh, I'll echo that's a great resource. I'll just, I'll just throw that in there too. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you probably have more credibility to say it than I do, but I'll just affirm it. <laughs> <laughs> it's good that it's not just coming from me though. I, you know, I might get paid to say that, you know? Well, yeah, so, that's true. I'm not getting paid. <laughs> well, Rich, thank you. Thank you very much. It's good to hear the sounds of queens coming from your window, even as we uh, yes, talk. Gives us a little are. bit of gives us a little bit of context. The rather, than, rather than my child knocking on the door. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rich, I hope we get to I hope we get to meet sometime. Maybe next time there's a missio thing, we'll get a chance to meet there. That'd be fun. That'd be yeah. fun. All right. Well, blessings to you. Take care, John. Thanks again for listening. I meant to mention in the intro to this one that clearly uh, my recording setup was messed up on my end, and so my voice sounded a little distant. I didn't have the right microphone settings going, but thanks for pushing your way through. Thankfully, Rich was pretty understandable, more understandable than me. Uh, wasn't that a great one? Rich, Rich is just an amiable guy who you just want to sit and chat with, and that's the fun thing about this podcast is I get to do that a lot. Uh, if you are so willing or if you remember to, in the midst of all the things demanding your attention, please feel free to help spread the word, tweet, Facebook, uh, email campaign, whatever it might be. As always, reviews left on iTunes are super helpful for us. And I know I have a few more to mention and say thanks for. So we'll, we'll cover that in an upcoming episode because I had lots of other things to say today. But iTunes reviews are also helpful for other people finding the podcast. And then finally, if you'd like to participate just in helping support what's going on with Sermon Smith financially to cover server costs and my time, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash sermonsmith, where you can pledge any given amount of your choice per episode that is published. Thanks so much, friends.